Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are covering a topic from a listener suggestion. A listener named Christine emailed us and asked us to define some of the genres that we talk about because we will throw out terms pretty casually in our discussions, assuming everybody knows them. And mm-hmm. and Christine asked us to talk a little bit about what we mean when we say some of these terms. So we thought that this episode would be a good opportunity to cover a whole bunch of different really subgenres, I would say, for the most part, versus big genres, because most yeah, people, I, I think, have a sense of what the big genres are. And then when I say big genres, I mean like mystery, romance, things like that. But I think we're going to talk about the ones that Mm -hmm. maybe are a little bit more confusing or how they're different from some of the other genres. There might be confusion about what, which is which, right? Right. And when we, I was thinking about this or when she asked it, I thought it really is like, we just Mm -hmm. throw these, these terms around left and right because we're so used to, it's such a big part of our our work lives and right. our reading lives and and but especially work lives and so then I've got feeling a little bad that we've just been assuming everyone else knows what we're talking about too right I mean I remember even I've been a big reader for a long long time I mean my whole life basically and when I started in my current job I remember hearing so I was not as anyone who has ever listened to any episode of this podcast knows I was not a horror <laughs> reader for a very long time And there are a lot of people that love horror at Novelist, where I work. I remember somebody talking about something called Eldritch Mm -hmm. Horror. And I did not know what that was. It was actually in a piece of content that we were were writing and we were going to be putting out for for our customers to access. I kind of naively made a comment in this document that we should define what that meant. I said, I don't know what this is. And so we got a few more people's opinions and they're like, no, 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 that's a that's a common thing in horror. You you know that if you're a mm-hmm. horror fan. So it was decided we didn't need to define it. But I mean, yeah, I think that there are plenty of things that if you're not immersed in the world of whatever it is, there's terminology that you don't know. And then for you and me, we are so immersed in it. We don't even stop right. to think that somebody right. might not know it. So So this is a good opportunity to just talk a little bit about it and we're we're going to, again, say where, where there's overlap with other genres, maybe, or differences, and then also some examples to, to help clarify. Right. Actually, we, I say we, it was really Anne put together a list of different <laughs> topics. I, I contributed, I think, three. Um, and it's not in any sort of order, I will say that. It was just as, as things came to mind, they got added to the list. So uh, just so you know, if you're, if you're like me, you'd be thinking, why isn't this in alphabetical yeah. order or something? It is not. Or it is by just genre the or it. anything. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's just a mishmash as we thought of them. I apologize. Uh, we've both had uh, pretty interesting weeks this yeah. week. So it was, uh, it was just all we could do to, to even put this list together. Honestly. Well, and I thought that it seemed a little more fun and, yeah, surprising to not group things in a certain way. It'll be like a thriller. Yeah. What's going to happen next? <laughs> what are they going to talk about next? All right. So our first one is gothic fiction. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even put any notes in our document because I knew I started to. Honestly, I started to. And then I stopped because I thought Anne has yeah. this one. She could talk about gothic all day long. 
I can and I will if given the opportunity, but I will try to keep it short. So when we talk about Gothic, um, I think it can be a little bit tricky because it has sort of morphed into shorthand for a haunted house book. And I think when lots of people use use the term Gothic, they're meaning like Victorian ghosts kind of thing. And it's more nuanced than that. So Gothic has to have a sense of fear and foreboding. And there's it, that usually comes from some sort of supernatural entity. But that can be unseen um, just as often as it's seen. So um, in a book like uh, The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters, there's you, you don't see a ghost. It's just a sense. It's more atmosphere, right? Yeah, yeah, it's atmosphere. And it needs to have a sense that you're being haunted by the past and how the past is showing up um, to upset the the way that the present exists. So, um, which makes sense with ghosts, but it can also just be, like in Rebecca, mm-hmm. let's say, there it, it's just a knowledge of what mm-hmm. happened in the past that, that upsets the present. Mm-hmm. Lots of Gothic also has an element of decay, and so... In, in the original Gothic literature of the of the uh, 18th century, mm-hmm. it usually was crum- some sort of crumbling Gothic c- castle or church mm-hmm. or, or something like that. That sort of morphed into Victorian houses. Mm-hmm. Um, in Southern Gothic, it's usually a plantation. And that's usually coupled with some sort of, um, or can be coupled with the grotesque. So you might have a character who has some sort of uh, deformity mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So um, the, one of the books I thought about was uh, Mexican Gothic, and I didn't love that book, but I did really, really love that it sort of, I, I went into it thinking it's going to be a ghost book with a, a haunted house. And then I was schooled in what Gothic actually means, <laughs> which I should have remembered, because it's much more in line with the original sense of the mm-hmm. word, the, of, of the liter- literature that came about. I, sh- I guess I should also say that the Gothic literature started in the uh 18th century mm-hmm. um and it's it's so much more than that and there's the sense of um uh there, there's a, a one particular scene that's very very grotesque mm-hmm. and um it's not like anything you'll read in a, a haunted house right. book so right. it's it's just very very different than what i was expecting so um gothic that's it <laughs> So yeah, I think that sometimes there's confusion because it's a question of how gothic differs from horror, but mm-hmm. it's almost like gothic is a subset of horror, wouldn't you say? I think it can be, but I think like with in at work, I will sometimes tag things that are gothic with as a horror novel mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll tag them as just fiction. Right. Because I wouldn't put southern gothic as horror necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on how genre it right. is versus how literary it's it's uh it's written mm-hmm. and um sometimes I will say that I think something is gothic but it to, to me sometimes whether you see whether it's a a ghost or something supernatural mm-hmm. versus just being uh um a sort of unsettling right. presence in the story I I think that can make a difference too so it's it definitely kind of skews both mm-hmm. ways, I think. Uh, well, that is a good segue into our next topic, which is literary fiction. So you mentioned it depends how literary it is. And I think mm-hmm. there's a question generally about, well, what is literary fiction? You hear that kind of a lot, actually, considering nobody, not nobody, but a lot of people don't exactly <laughs> know what that means. 
so when I think of literary fiction, I think of a lot of like a big, big award winners, the National Book Award, the Booker Prize, like those tend to be, not always, those tend to be literary fiction. They tend to be books that there's a real focus on the craft of the language of the story. Mm, and I like that. Pardon? I said, I like that. I like, I like that. Yeah. Don't you think, I think there's, it's a lot of literary fiction. It would not be described as plot driven. Usually I wouldn't say it's more of a focus Mm -hmm. on, uh, I want to say clever, but that's not really, it's not clever. It's like, yeah, the craft of, of how it's, the story is put together, whether that's the language Mm -hmm. or a unique structure or something like that, uh, that or really, really, uh, deep characters. Right. Right. And not necessarily a happy ending or anything like that. Like it's a, it's a a view of life, often in a realistic way, but not necessarily always. There's plenty of literary fiction that's more uh, fantastical in a way. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think there's it's it's definitely focus on good writing or again like the way the story is put together. So again, I think of. A lot of award winners are often literary fiction. A lot of classics are, con- are would be considered literary fiction. Started mm-hmm. jotting down some authors like Toni Morrison would be considered literary. James Baldwin, uh, Yaja mm-hmm. who I've talked about multiple times is a favorite yes. author of mine. That's literary fiction where it's really delving into humanity, I would say, mm-hmm. and and uncovering that in a way that feels true to life uh so but there's a lot of confusion i think about what well what's literary fiction versus mainstream fiction or when you know it just can be a little hard to to understand or hard to clarify and i think i think by by defining literary fiction in the way that we have we're not wrong but it also can set up a a um a dichotomy of well this is literary versus everything else right. which is fluff. which is right and, that's and which is not definitely not true not art right exactly exactly and it's and that's that's something that i hear uh very very i mean genre is dismissed mm-hmm. <laughs> very very often and uh or genre books mm-hmm. i should say and and it just simply isn't true it, you look at something like um like N.K. Jemisin, mm-hmm. which is just such gorgeous writing and such good characterization, and the structure of it is so interesting. And she's doing uh, literary fiction, but it's definitely genre fiction too, because it's a fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same thing with Tana mm-hmm. French. Um, it's just there. There isn't that when when people talk about genre mm-hmm. fiction, you can't you can't just dismiss it and say, well, it's it's less than. But interestingly, I think a lot of people refer to somebody like Tana French, somebody like um, Liz Liz Moore. I think I've I've talked about her on the podcast yeah, yeah, before, yeah. and I messed up her yep. name. Yeah, right. I question her name, but she wrote Long Bright River. Right, right, right. They refer to those as literary mysteries, mm-hmm. and I think almost to kind of elevate them. Right. And I I get why people say that. I say that because it it does feel like a distinction that if you want a mystery that has a lot of forward moving plot, you know that that the, those yeah. mysteries that just are fast paced and 
there are all these clues and you're figuring out what's happening. That's not what those are. These are more about the characters. They're more about the setting. And so that's that's the distinction with literary. When somebody calls, uh, when somebody adds literary to the front of, uh, right. of the, the other genre that they're talking about, I think that's what people mean. But for sure. And I and I think that it's a super especially for us who are uh, book professionals mm-hmm. and are trying to always categorize things. It's very, very helpful shorthand. And and it's just really tricky and important for us and readers to remember that that it's not a, a, um, a judgment. Right. It's not a value judgment. It's, it's right. Just trying to categorize things and I think partly I think and I don't know if this is why Christine asked or not uh, but I do think in having worked with books for a long time and talking to readers and things it can be really helpful to identify genres that you do like as a reader because there are just so many books that come out all the time Mm -hmm. and it's overwhelming I mean I get overwhelmed and I read a lot and I still get overwhelmed mm-hmm. feeling like there are so many books. I'm never going to be able to read all the ones I want to read. What, how do I choose? And so I think that identifying something like gothic fiction, literary fiction, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and and realizing, oh, I really like this type of book. And yeah, not, like narrowing it down right, it, for, it's, for yourself. It's not necessarily the be all end all of choosing a book. You're not probably going to like any literary novel that's out there. But it does help say, oh, I really prefer literary fiction over something more mainstream that might be on the mm-hmm. New York Times bestseller list, say. Um, right. And not that it's only mainstream that's on there. But you know what I mean? I'm just trying to sort of like say why it's important. It's important for us as librarians. But readers, I think, can benefit from knowing what their tastes are and, and totally. having some definitions. Because if you go on a, something like Goodreads, books get tagged that way and so it can be helpful Mm -hmm. to find additional books right 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 okay so next up ah next (laughs) up we have my favorite (laughs) yeah i figured you would talk i I didn't write down anything for this for this reason (laughs) next up we have relationship fiction which is truly my most most favorite genre so relationship fiction used to be called women's fiction often in fact it sometimes still is but that's a very gendered way to look at it. It's not only read by women. It doesn't only feature women. It's not only written by women. So recently, in the last few years, we have, in the book world, shifted a bit to call it relationship fiction. One of the reasons, I think, is because of one of the examples I'm going to give. But relationship fiction generally is... Actually, if I just describe it, it would be kind of similar to literary fiction. It's often about people, about relationships, obviously, as the name would imply. (laughs) Not necessarily romantic relationships, although there might be romantic relationships, but it's often about friendships, family relationships, just the way we, as people, relate to one another. And also often it's about finding fulfillment in your life or struggling with things like grief and loss. So it's really focused on kind of normal everyday lives of people. Mm -hmm. But the way it differs from literary fiction is often the tone is a little bit more upbeat. There's there's often humor in it. It tends to have just this hopeful quality at the end of at the end of a relationship fiction book, you are going to be left 
feeling like the characters are probably better off than where they started and mm -hmm. they're going to be okay after you close right. the book. And right. the, one of the ways I describe it, relationship fiction in, uh, because I've actually talked about it in multiple venues is these are the books that you feel like you become friends with the characters. Like you care about the mm -hmm. characters so, so much and you get to know them and you kind of miss them after you close the book because you've learned all about their lives and their, their troubles and, and their loves and their triumphs and all these things. And so you become pretty invested in them. And they're, they're often very relatable characters that are mm -hmm. in the books that you, you see yourself in them, you see your friends, you see your family. Um, and so to me, they're, it's just a joy to read them. So the, the book that I mentioned that is a, an example of why it's no longer called women's fiction and now it's called relationship fiction is a book, A Man Called Uva, which I know I'm not saying right, man. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, but that was a book that I'm guessing most of our listeners have at the very least heard of, if not read. And that blew up several, well, gosh, more than right. several years ago, probably eight years ago or something now. And it's about this grumpy, curmudgeonly man who is doesn't really feel like he has much to live for. In fact, it opens with him attempting suicide. And then these people, these neighbors kind of crash into his life. They form a relationship and, and suddenly you're seeing him, the main character, as a more full person and where what his past is that has led him to be in the situation he's in now. And you're seeing him relate to these neighbors and... I don't know. It's just that's it, I'm guessing most people are aware of that book. And that's a really, really good example of relationship fiction. It's a good example of the tone. It's a good example of the way it ends. And I'm not going to give anything away, but but it it's just a really <laughs> good example. Um, I mean, basically, you could go back and listen to many podcast episodes and whatever I'm reading is, is going to be relationship fiction. Uh, but um, there was a great book last year called The Reading List that's all about a girl who works in a library and stumbles on a list of books, decides to pick one up because she's bored. And then that makes a connection with a library patron that comes in and then she passes on the list to him. And then you learn about somebody else who discovers the list and reads the books. And so it's all about the connections between strangers. That's a that's a recurring theme in relationship fiction mm -hmm. as well. And there's always the the emotional sort of center. Yes, yes. In, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. But there there are lots of authors that um, Catherine Heine, Emma Straub come to mind. Um, a book I read recently that I love, Sophie Goes Lonely Hearts Club by Roselle Lim is relationship mm -hmm. fiction about a, a matchmaker and a group of retired men, <laughs> retired single men that she tries, <laughs> she decides to set up as her initial matchmaking clients. So it, it's, there's a certain feeling to the books, just like many of the other topics we're talking about today. Right. So can you explain the difference between relationship and romance? Because I think that those I get... can. Yeah, relationship yes. gets lumped in a it lot does. with romance and it's not it's, the same yes. at all. And I will say, I will preface this by saying, there are some books now that really tread that line <laughs> between right. relationship and romance. <laughs> a book like uh, Beth O'Leary's books, for example. She mm -hmm. has three books and I think they're very, very close to either relationship or romance, depending on, on which one we're talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake was another one that it was marketed as romance and I read it and I thought mm, I think this is relationship fiction yeah. I don't think this what is what was the one there was one last year that it was uh, 
Hanukkah carries on. Yes. Is yes. That, that the name of it? Where we, we were discussing it and it was nominated in our committee as romance. Uh-huh. And we're like, there is a romance yeah. and it ends in a happily ever after, mm-hmm. but that's not the right. point of right. the book. So you just sort of defined the difference, which is, Ooh. I know, which is romance has to have a happily ever after. And the central couple has to be the main part of the story. Like, you, you mm-hmm. can't have a romance without the relationship between the central couple. If you took them out, if you took one of them out, the book would fall apart. There would be no book. Mm-hmm. Relationship fiction, like I mentioned, there might be romantic elements to it, but it's not only about the romance. And it doesn't necessarily end with that happily ever after. You could have relationships where you the couple doesn't end up together or 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 does but that it's really more about personal growth i would say or right. about all kinds of relationships so if it's a, if if it's only about a romantic relationship between the main characters and it ends as a with a happily ever after or happily for now but a ha- mostly happily ever after in adult novels that's a romance relationship is going to be less about that main there wouldn't be a main love story, pretty much. Right. And we, I, one of the, the authors that I hear all the time called romance, where people get upset about it if you're yeah. a romance reader, is Nicholas yes, Sparks. Yes, he's not a romance author. Because they're not romances. No. They don't have happy have, ends. Nope. And they have, it, it's about a romance, but you have to have the happily yeah. ever after. That is the key yeah. element yeah. to a romance. Yeah, I would call Nicholas Sparks' books love stories. Right. Which is different. Which is, I know, I know... That's splitting hairs. People maybe don't care about that. But I will say romance readers care about that. Romance readers, they read romance for a reason, which is they know that it's going to end with that happily ever after. And the whole point of reading the romance is to watch how the main couple gets to the happily ever after. So Mm -hmm. if there's no happy ending, you're really going to disappoint romance readers. I remember not too long ago, and now I'm drawing a blank on what it was, but there was a book that was marketed as a romance, and it was a series, I feel like, maybe, or at least there was a sequel. I'll say that. And so at the end of the first book, they don't end up together. Maybe it's Fifty Shades of Grey now that I'm talking about it. Ooh. I don't remember. Anyway, but it was a big deal, I remember, because people really debated because they said... They, yeah, they might end up if they end up together at the end of the series. That's not the same as an you know a romance that, where they end happily at the end of. Oh, that's so interesting! Yeah. I forgot like that. Yeah, that would make a big difference. Yeah. So okay, I've yammered on Scandal. enough about relationship and romance and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, so next up, and I think this was maybe one that Christine called out in her email was uh, all the yes right what magical realism is. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take this one? Um, yeah, I can take that um, with lots of input from you because this is yeah. a little harder to define, I think. Um, so fantasy versus magical realism is something I hear a lot. And I would say that magical realism is where the magic isn't really magic. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of mm-hmm. life. And so it's showing reality as we know it, but it has added elements of the fantastic, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily notable or even um, comment worthy Mm -hmm. in that world. And um, fantasy, the magic is notable and fantasy that it's separate from reality as we know it. So um, 
one of the I remember having a, a conversation with my sister where she was asking about that and I and she she said I said that in uh fantasy it has to be like surprising or or I, I can't remember the, the word that I used and she used the example of mm-hmm. Harry Potter because she said well in that world it's it, magic is is everywhere it isn't something that's that's um mm-hmm. unusual and I said yes to a certain to people who are part of that but to everyone else it's fantastical and so Mm -hmm. it it is still our space but it's it's not everywhere that it that it exists um so it's separated from reality as we know it um and i also think that with fantasy it it's something that can take place in our world but it depends on how much attention is is given to it so there are you and i both really enjoy fantasy uh, that takes place in a fantastical version of of something we know right um but it in magical realism it's not the focus isn't on those fantastical elements it's just it's just exists mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, I think that's a great way to d- define it. I don't, yeah, I don't have anything to add. I always feel like there's an earthiness to it. Yep. And, yep. and that's something that you see it a lot with there being uh, kind of nature is um, mm-hmm. is very important to magical realism. If you have read Gabriel Garcia Marquez yeah. or uh, Isabel Allende, those are major authors mm-hmm. who, who use magical realism. It's a major literary tradition in Latin America. And, and so it's, it's very, very well loved yep. by many, many people. I am not one of those people. I don't like magical realism either. Although yeah. I've certainly read some that I've liked more. Yeah. But I've tried to read a hundred years of solitude multiple times and put it aside. <laughs> uh, so. and, I, and I respect it. That's the thing yeah. is I, I, and, and I, I probably am thinking of a little bit more of uh, magical realism in YA fiction, mm-hmm. which I just loathe so much. <laughs> I hate it so much, and so um, so I I I probably should should not say I hate it and just say I hate it in YA form. But right. um, it's hard for me. It's not my favorite. But you know, Sarah Addison Allen, who I think I read one of her books many many years ago. Mm-hmm. I think she'd probably be considered magical realism. Yeah, I would say so. And I, I would put Alice Hoffman in there too. Yep. Um, even though like practical magic, they are doing magic, but it's they're still, it's still not the focus of the right. book. The focus of the book is is the relationship with the sisters and the family, and and it's just sort of a piece of their lives. So yeah, I was going to use the word happenstance. I don't know why. Like that. Yeah. Like, it's almost like by chance, or I don't know. It's I don't right. know. How to, yeah. You did. Oh, a much that's better a big part of. <laughs> that's a that's a um a huge part of fantasy too. Is the point is the world building. Right. And if that's not the point, I would say it's not. It's not, it's not fancy. All right. Let's move on. I know you want to talk about the next one. I do. It's my favorite. <laughs> Or is Gothic my favorite? I don't know, but don't it's know. Cozy Mysteries, and I love them both. Um, so Cozy Mysteries, oh, they have an amateur sleuth. It's usually a woman. There is a small cast of, of suspects. It's usually in a, a contained setting like a house party or village, although now there's been a little bit more push of urban cozy fantasies, or sorry, Cozy Mysteries, mm-hmm. where it still has that contained feeling, but it's not in quite such a small rural setting. The murder is bloodless. There has to be no uh, little to no violence and sex and swearing. And in 
past years, cozies have come to mean kind. I I wrote down hobby mysteries because mm-hmm. they're oh they're centered around things like baking and crafts and right. something that's that's very quaint. But having said that, Agatha Christie is a cozy author, but I have started to see um, the sort of the golden age of of mysteries and books that are uh, in that vein as uh, being called traditional mysteries, I think, to differentiate between that that hobby sense of things. Um, you'll often see cozies in in um, the hobby realm as mass market paperbacks Mm -hmm. um that's pretty pretty common so um there can be a little bit of of uh blurred lines i think between traditional and cozy but they both basically fit the same definitions Mm -hmm. is there anything you would you would add no i was just going to add that i've heard louise penny referred to as cozy and i don't think so because it's not an amateur detective first of all right I think I think it's a a mix of we'll get into police police procedurals right. later, but I think it's a mix of that because I think the that the the small setting is there, the small cast of suspects is there, mm-hmm. um, and I think the appeal of what makes people read cozies is there of mm-hmm. that that sort of um, that quaintness. And so I, I think that it's right on the line of the two. Mm-hmm. But I agree that, that well, and Poirot is not a, an amateur sleuth. Um, oh, he's a true. professional. And, and I still would count those as, as cozies. So um, so I think, I mean, for most of these things, other than I will say romance has to have a, a, a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. These are not hard and fast rules. That's right, the only right. hard and They're fast rule, though. Right. Right. just a way to kind of group like things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so speaking of cozy, we now have cozy science fiction and fantasy, which is a, a pretty new yeah, like subgenre. This year, basically, it's, it seems like, or, or the last couple of years. Yeah. Do you want me to go into that, too? Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. You're on um, roll. So sure. So it, it sort of has the same, the same idea. There's a lack of grittiness. Um, lots of science fiction and fantasy has can, can have a lot of darkness to it and this does not and there's a sense of calm and safety um, and they usually seem to have some sort of tie to food all the ones I wrote down have food in them that's so true I don't know that's, if that's true a, because a rule or what Becky but. Chambers who was my first exposure to it with her I don't know what her, that series is called but it starts with a long way to a right wait, what's it a long way to a angry plant what Small Angry Planet? Is that what that it is? That sounds right. I think that. Anyway, it's it wasn't that book that I read, but it was something in that book. And yes, there are lots of descriptions of food. In fact, there's a funny part about, um, I want to say cheese or something, that these hmm. aliens are like, what? What are you? What do you eat? What do you put in your mouth? Uh, yes, you're right. Lots, lots of these revolve around food. Yeah. And so it has that same comforting feel that you get from a, a cozy mm-hmm. mystery. So um, I wrote down... Uh, Legends and Lattes is the the book that seems to be just blowing up right now as mm-hmm. the prime example of of cozy um, science fiction fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a book I need to read soon called Can't Spell Treason Without Tea that takes place in a tea house. Oh. Uh, and it sounds like it'll be fun. And then last year, our winner for uh, science fiction was A Psalm for the Wild Build. Mm-hmm. And that is very um, like a serene journey mm-hmm. that has a robot and a monk mm-hmm. 
That's so that's so lovely. It was such mm-hmm. a lovely. We talked about this when we talked about the reading list episode where we yeah. went over the winners and shortlist. But yeah, it's a really really lovely book. So yeah, I think that it's it falls in line with the world is hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and. This is escapist comfort reading, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's fun. I like I like this new this new trend. Right. I feel like I, I might get to be a little bit more of a fantasy reader mm-hmm. and if if this is something that keeps going because that sounds that sounds enjoyable to me. Yes, I think for me it's sci fi, you know, I'm I'm unlikely to pick up sci fi on my yeah. own. But, but I, I did really, really like uh, a psalm for the wild built, so I think that there's a second one out and maybe even a third at this point. But I, um, those are ones I would like to get back to. Great. All right. So next we have domestic thriller or psychological suspense. And I think there's a lot of confusion generally with thrillers and mysteries. What mm-hmm. What's I think a lot of people call those two things kind of interchangeably mysteries, thrillers. And mystery, how would you, so how would you say it? So, I mean, I guess it's about solving the mystery. Thriller is about, you could know from the beginning of a thriller that who did, who committed the crime. Right. So it's not a question of solving that or solving the mystery. It's more about what happened, like the, the tension of amplif like of of what well, I can't think of the right word like a building tension yeah that is on the edge of your seat kind of pulse pounding almost right. scared like very close to horror actually um anyway yeah the, that, the that's not specific that to domestic thriller that's just thrillers in general right um, but it to me it's the difference of like of the intellectual of a mystery where you're piecing or puzzling things out versus the yes adrenaline of, yes that's a good yeah of yeah the thriller yeah yeah mysteries are more thinky thrillers yeah. are more feeling thinky versus feely i like that <laughs> well i said feeling but yes yeah <laughs> um yeah don't well, you right think? now i'm i'm I, definitely but right now i'm arguing very strenuously for a mystery that i nominated that you know pretty early on who has to have done the miss who have has to have committed the crime mm-hmm. but it's it seems impossible and so it's more of how they did it right um and i i i don't know that i'm gonna win this this argument on on my our spreadsheet about it but i'm trying or marla murder club i mean yeah. it's it's like you know who or you the person the person that you, well i don't want to spoil things for you yeah because i might read that yeah, it feels like there's only one way that things could have happened. Yeah, and so okay. it's like you second guessing yourself is what yeah. I love about it. And then, and then when it unfolds, you're like, oh, right. It's uh, to me like, like that, that same satisfaction. So then, if we talk about psychological thrillers or psychological suspense, rather, mm-hmm. how is that different? Like, I would consider those a type of thriller, right? I I think of. Uh, to me, it's it's the the idea that the um, the tension is coming from your head yeah. versus the tension is coming from a threat of a of a um, 
angry government or right. something right or, right or uh, a physical threat it's right. it's more of a uh second guessing what you think you know about yourself or the right. person or the, that you're the people person you're married to or yeah. something like that right yeah yeah and these i think a lot of unreliable narrator books fall into this category where as a reader you're reading thinking am i getting the whole story right <laughs> is this actually what's happened or is this just the narrator telling me their perspective i think um those have been very popular the last few years, and I think right. of those uh, in this in the same realm. Yeah, it's funny too to think. Uh, when I was in grad school, we spent a lot of time defining thrillers versus suspense, mm-hmm. and I feel like now no one cares. No, no, <laughs> it's like they they uh, the the readers are the same. So right. just who cares about the fact that yeah. thrillers are usually around a a. Um, a profession <laughs> right right um all right next up we have folk horror which is very trendy right now it is very trendy right now <laughs> it's pretty easily defined because it's horror that's based on folklore right and that's that's, that's it, it. <laughs> so um i actually wrote down uh movies for this if you think of yeah. midsummer or The Wicker Man. Those right. are perfect examples of folk horror. And actually, the book that I'm going to talk about of, of what I'm reading this week is folk horror. So that's why I didn't uh, go into it here. Yeah. Yeah. Very popular right now. And yeah, based on folk horror. Okay. So the next one is an interesting one, which is Time Slip. Right. And this can actually fall into different categories because... And has two different definitions yeah it's like the same word is being used for totally different totally things. different things so you'll have science fiction books that are called time slip books but you'll also have historical fiction that are called time slip books right in science fiction characters i actually took a definition that we use in novelist just to make sure i said it right uh, we define it as characters find themselves suddenly somewhere else past or future they may manage to adapt or discover how to return to their original time. So Kindred by Octavia Butler, which is not a book I have read, but I'm familiar with it. Um, this is a time slip book where mm-hmm. a modern person goes back in time and has to figure out why she is there, what her purpose is, how to get back home kind of thing. Historical fiction is different. Do you want mm-hmm. to take historical fiction? Yeah, so historical fiction time slip is historical fiction that's set in two or i guess one of them can be modern but Mm -hmm. there's multiple time frames that Mm -hmm. are being used so two or more uh time frames and it often revolves around an object that is the same uh, um or a place that is the same for each of the characters in each era so a time slip novel would be um uh what's the name of the book by kate morton that i'm forgetting the lake house the lake house yeah yeah where there are um or really any kate morton book (laughs) to be honest where there are several different eras that are are being um uh written about and it's it's um i guess a parallel parallel narrative um but then there is it's centered on the same space so so a character maybe will say um, I inherited a house for my grandmother right. and oh I just found this thing in the house and then it goes back to the grandmother's time period right. and you see what happened to, yeah. to create that space right. so 
Um, and it goes back and forth between it's slipping through time because it's going back right. and forth between the, the time periods right. um, by sometimes chapter by chapter or section by section. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's funny how these two things are I know. just like we need to come up with a different word. I know. Well, and then I added this because I like, I actually really like these kinds of books. There's time loop where oh, yeah. people keep going back. So a book like Life After Life by Kate Atkinson mm-hmm. is sort of an example of a time loop, but or Groundhog Day, the movie is the example that I, that I put in there because it's like the, the character keeps going back trying to, or forward to try to correct something or adjust something in, in the present. And those, those I think get confused with time slips sometimes. Yeah, too. yeah, agreed. All right, next up we have Body Horror. Which oh, is not my thing. Not my thing either. But it is horror that is uh, involving terrible things that can happen to the body. Yes. <laughs> so um, things like uh, just very, very grotesque um, um, mutilations are, would be considered body horror. Um, things like, um, oh, I even looked up an article because I, I read it so little that I didn't mm-hmm. even have a good example. But um what was the one I found that I was like, oh yeah, um, her body and other parties, which yeah. is a pretty literary, but also um, would be considered body horror. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you think of things like people slicing up eyeballs, then that's body horror. Yeah, Ugh, not my thing. All right, hard boiled versus police procedural. Want me to refer? Yeah, well, you just <laughs> you mentioned police procedural, so you're the. You, you know this better than I do. Yeah. Um, I think they're conflated pretty uh, regularly. Um, Hard Boiled is similar. If you think of noir film, then that's a good mm-hmm. example, a good visual example of Hard Boiled. Um, it's often a down on his luck private investigator who is looking into a crime that's very, very dark. Um, usually something that's, that's uh, a secret that's being hidden by a prominent member of society that's, that's pretty terrible. Um, is something you, you see come up pretty often with, with uh, hard-boiled. Um, it definitely has to have a sense of the pointlessness of modern life, and it's usually something that takes place in a city, and they're uh, usually very, very gritty. So there's a lot of sex and violence and language and pretty much the opposite of a, a cozy, to be mm-hmm. honest. <laughs> um, and then a police procedural is a mystery where uh, you see the process of how the police... Um, solve the crime and Mm -hmm. so it's usually a a detective within the police force and so you see all of the details of how the police go about solving something um they're usually fairly gritty but that's not a rule by any means because like we said Mm -hmm. uh louise penny fits within that and those are are not gritty at all um so i think that the confusion comes because they can often have a similar tone to uh hard-boiled and i think that the readership can can cross over Mm -hmm. pretty regularly um, but they are different. I think a lot of well-known series are police procedurals. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. That people would just consider mysteries are actually police procedurals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if you think of something like Devil in a Blue Dress, right. um, that's then that's hard-boiled. That's hard-boiled cause Sam it's... Spade, right? Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, There's still next... a mystery, but it's just, it's, it's a different. It's grittier tone, right? Yeah, yeah, and not a detective. Oh, right, not a detective. Uh, okay, or a so different then... kind of detective. Ugh, words are so hard. 
Um, all right. Gentle fiction versus inspirational fiction, or I would add Christian fiction mm-hmm. to that. Uh, this is, there is a lot of crossover here in that generally people, so gentle, gentle fiction or gentle reads would be something that doesn't have bad language, sexual content, or violent content mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, it's kind of uplifting in a way. Yeah. And too. also has a nice sort of like relationship fiction, like a hopeful tone, mm-hmm. a hopeful ending, those sorts of things. Inspirational fiction has some aspect of faith to it. Mm-hmm. So it needs to have, and it might not be prominent, but it needs to have some aspect of faith. But it also often crosses over with gentle reads in the idea that there might not be language or sex or violence. But that's not always true. There were the people may or may not remember these. There was a very popular series that was the Tim LaHaye books. Oh, yeah. Like, those were Christian fiction, I guess you would call them, because they were they definitely had elements of faith, but they were, they were like apocalyptic. Yeah. So they weren't gentle by any means. Yeah. So there is a crossover. I, people who are looking for inspirational fiction that doesn't have some of the what they would find offensive – might also like gentle reads because they also don't have those things that are offensive. But mm-hmm. if they really want the faith element, then they need to stick to inspirational. Yeah. It's funny because I was thinking that inspirational is always gentle, but gentle isn't always inspirational. But that's not true because mm-hmm. inspirational can be... There's inspirational mysteries. There's right. inspirational sci-fi. There's, yep. There are all kinds of things. And even in, in the work that I do when I was doing fiction... Um, we would tag things by genre and also if it had inspirational, we would add an additional tag. And right. That didn't necessarily have to be something that was right. uh, gentle. Yep. Yeah. These can be hard to know if a book falls mm-hmm. into particularly the gentle category because I, as a reader, will often kind of read stuff that it just doesn't register with me if there's bad language. I mean, if there's a lot of it, I might notice. But if there's just some, mm-hmm. I probably don't even clock that in my yeah. mind. So it can be hard without, there are websites that can help um, identify these books. And again, something like Goodreads, readers will mention in reviews or tag things in certain ways. Um, but it can be hard to know. Sometimes people refer to gentle reads or inspirational that has no uh, sex violence or language as clean reads mm-hmm. which that I don't like using that word because it implies that other kinds are not clean or dirty right, uh, right. but you may hear that um, or you know people may be aware of that um, as more of a term than gentle but anyway it can just be hard to know um, yeah. what's inside a book without reading it and it can be hard even if you have read it to recommend it to somebody right. um, who wants something that's lacking all of those Things that they might find offensive or that might be sensitive to. Right. And I always think of, um, this is this also is a little bit confounding, but the the uh, Jan Karen mm-hmm. uh, Mitford series, mm-hmm. um, which I think I told you about the time I, I hid my mom's copies because <laughs> I hated them so much. And now I'm like, oh, sound lovely. But when she was reading them, I thought they were stupid. So I hid them from her. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Um. 
those I would not call inspirational, but they do have, they center around a church. Right. And so it's, but definitely gentle. So it's, it can Mm -hmm. just be, it it depends on whether you're meant to be, whether it's faith promoting. So. All right. And then I think our very last one we have is urban fantasy. Yes. Urban fantasy is fantasy that is gritty. Um, It's set in a city as the name implies (laughs) um i tend to think of urban fantasy like uh, there's a lot of crossover with with uh paranormal fantasy Mm -hmm. um but i don't think it has to has to be Mm -hmm. uh you know like a subset of that um so i think of like laurel k hamilton Mm -hmm. as a an author of, of urban fantasy because they're vampire fantasy novels that are um just sort of tough i guess like mm-hmm. like the characters are tough mm-hmm. it's not something where you're going to find beautiful pretty mm-hmm. uh um like sorcerers and mm-hmm. things it's going to be gritty yep and uh jim butcher is another one yep. this is definitely not my genre so i don't uh have oh elona andrews mm-hmm. would be another one yep um it's pretty popular. People that love urban fantasy love urban fantasy. And so, I always picture always all the action in urban fantasy taking place at night. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it has to have a woman's butt in yep. jeans on the cover. <laughs> on the cover. That's the rule. <laughs> oh, all right. I hope that was helpful to the very least Christine. <laughs> I hope everybody else who has stuck with us as long feels okay about the fact that they just spent this time with us. Uh, We will be right back with what we are reading this week. All right, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, This week I promised uh, that I was reading some folk horror, and it is Dead Water by C.A. Fletcher. And it is a book that takes place on a remote Scottish island, and it has many characters in it many 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 characters that are setting up this community um so one of them is a swedish woman named sigrid who uh, married a local uh scottish man and then um you know that some sort of tragedy has happened you you don't know for a while what has happened but some some tragedy occurred in her life she's there alone now and uh she has in-laws on the island that um that she's involved with but is very solitary and she has uh friends that have been trying to contact her but is, she's she's been avoiding them and so kind of through her you see all these other um it sort of pans out to other characters that are involved with her although she's not really uh exactly the main character but you're sort of the the starting point to see where all of this is going um there are characters who are coming to the island as um newcomers who are have uh either recently moved there or just coming for a a time um there's a family of i guess i think they're english of a dad and his new wife and his son who um are definitely struggling with each other to get along and they all are are coming to this space um i'm leaving out about 20 other characters (laughs) um it's very sprawling and uh interspersed with the with learning about these characters you see a piece of the island's history that is written by a viking who's describing some sort of water-borne illness that mm-hmm. he has encountered um, while um, 
he he makes a journey to this island um i haven't gotten to the 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 point where i really understand how it all comes together but but you know that this is coming and so um as the community as you're learning about these characters and again this is where i have not gotten to yet so it's a little bit hard to describe but Mm -hmm. um the there's some sort of illness that will come about um because of this viking and his history with the island and essentially the book is the breakdown of the society and how this this illness impacts people and so uh, i've seen just a little bit so far where um there are animals that are have been drinking water that have started to act strangely Mm -hmm. and uh i'm getting the impression that it's going to be spread from the water to animals to people and in the meantime there are uh two i don't know what the 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 name of the profession is because i'm blanking on it but two people who are there to uh work on the internet for Mm -hmm. the island and they uh have promised that it would just be an hour's long outage and something happens that causes this catastrophic explosion to uh cut off all communication from Mm -hmm. the outside world to the space so so there's that sense of claustrophobia and that nature is sort of against you and um that that the this this old uh this old story is coming from from the past to to inflict its horror on Mm -hmm. these people so that is uh kind of what folk horror does in a nutshell Mm -hmm. um and so i'm i'm about halfway through I'm I'm excited to see how things turn out with them. I think it's not going to be good, but it's the not setting gonna is, end well. It's not going to end well, but the setting is really really well done. You definitely get that sense of how remote these people are, and sort of the terror that comes from being that remote, um, and just sort of seeing these different animals um, being impacted by this illness, and it, it's sort of causing um, sort of zombie like mm-hmm. behavior. Um, and then I want to see how the spiking turns up because i like vikings and i think it's going to be creepy and good so um again a hard book to describe because of how many people are in it but uh, hopefully that wasn't completely uh nonsensical and that is dead water by ca fletcher all right i am reading this week actually i just finished it last night right before bed so i haven't picked up anything new yet uh boyfriend material by alexis hall this Ooh. is a romance and it's about luke who is the son of two famous musicians his name is actually Lucien or Lucien, I'm not sure how you say it, Um, but he goes by Luke. And he has been tabloid fodder for basically his entire life because his parents are famous. They very famously are estranged. They got a divorce. Celebrities' kids are often in the spotlight through no action of their own. They just sort of are of interest to people. Mm -hmm. But then recently it's it's kind of spiraled a bit because, or, or escalated a bit because his most recent boyfriend sold a tell-all story to a magazine, <gasps> and then he has been photographed coming out of a club getting being really drunk. So it's like, it's kind of, he's getting a reputation as being kind of a party guy. And he works at a nonprofit. It's actually a nonprofit for a certain kind of beetle, like raising money, like to save a beetle. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, and his employers raise concerns that this partying image that he has isn't going to sit well with their donors and they they really need to preserve that. And, and part of his job is wooing these donors and also throwing a big gala, 
where they raise a bunch of money. And so because he is pretty visible, they're, they're concerned that all this tabloid stuff is, is going to negatively affect them. He decides, and along with some friends and coworkers, that the best thing he should do is get a, a, a fake boyfriend. To, as one does. As one does. To have the appearance of being in a stable relationship and being um, settled down and all these things. It's funny, too, because how many fake relationship romance books are there? And have you ever known anyone to be in a fake relationship? No. Uh, only as a an April Fool's thing. Oh, and okay. I called him out instantly because if you're not kissing in the pictures, it's, yeah. I love a fake relationship romance. I'll say that. But it's just funny. There are so many in the in books and none of them. Yeah. Real. We were promised a lot more than we've been given yes. in our life. Uh, anyway, so enter Oliver, who is a friend of a friend that Luke has actually encountered several times over the past few years. And in fact, he's he was sort of, the first time he met him, he hit on him. He thought he was cute and uh, was kind of interested in him. And Oliver shot him down. Luke is thinking like, this is never going to work. This guy doesn't like me. But his friend, he has a good friend who says, no, no, Oliver is a great guy. Like, this is going to work out. So they get set up on a date. And on the date, Luke is like, I can't do this. I can't pretend to actually be on a date with this guy I have to tell him that I need a fake boyfriend and see if he will agree (laughs) and he does and Oliver does agree because Oliver also has an event that he could use a boyfriend it's his parents wedding anniversary in several months and through some because of some family stuff Oliver could really use Luke to kind of smooth things over so they agree they're going to pretend to date for a while and both go to these events and then go their separate ways. So you can imagine how this goes, but <laughs> it's just the char- It's such a charming book. The two of them are very charming. Uh, they both actually have legitimate issues from their past that contribute to them not just immediately falling in love with each other or something. I mean, there, there's actually like some good tension there and believable tension too about trust issues and history with family stuff and and some other things. And Luke in particular is a bit guarded and unsure about romantic relationships. And the the backstory that his boyfriend sold a tabloid story is is enough to say, yeah, I could see somebody not really wanting to open their heart up to somebody new that he is kind of famous and you know that could damage him more. So um, anyway, so it's it's a really cute romance. It's funny. Um, it's all told from Luke's perspective, and he's a very witty, self-deprecating character, and so it's fun to kind of be in his head and in his world for for the course of the relationship, the fake relationship. Um, and there's actually a sequel called Husband Material that um, I might read, but this is Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. It's very cute and very popular. It is, yes. If you have a suggestion like Christine did, please feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at uh, wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It really helps people find us. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about well, the well, yeah, every book we talked about in this episode. I was gonna say we yeah. only talked about two, but no, we talked about plenty. A lot. Um, oh, can I say too? I 
since I do the show notes, I don't know when I'm going to get to them. Yes, <laughs> you're going out of town one. tomorrow. Uh, and then have be, visitors. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be tricky, but I will get to them, I promise. And I was going to mention, so that's a good segue. Uh, we Two weeks from now, when we would ordinarily try to record, is Thanksgiving in the U.S. And we, are, we both have Thanksgiving plans. So um, our recording schedule is going to be a little weird here for the next six or eight weeks or so as we mm-hmm. close out this year. Uh, we have travel plans. We have visitors. Um, we have holidays. It got very busy. I know. Just so, so busy. But we are very excited. We always love our year-end episodes where we do our favorite books of the year. We have our superlatives episode. We have in the new year reading plans and resolutions. So we do intend to do all of those. They just might come at a different cadence than we're used to (laughs) uh, or or that we try to do. We try to do every two weeks. I know we haven't been great about it, but we do try to do every two weeks. And I just think we're going to for the next little bit, fit it in where we can and and record when we can and hope for the best. Um, But just so you all know, um, please be patient with us. We won't disappear as we have in the past. Yes, Yes, we will be back. It just might not be regular, regularly scheduled programming. All right. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.